We come today to a shift in our progress through the book of Romans. Last time we were together looking at this passage, we considered Paul's response to chapters 1 through 11 uh, in the words of chapter 11, verses 33 to the end of the chapter. Chapter. This is the effect of grace. It is the effect of mercy in the hearts of people. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory. This passage, the end of chapter 11, I think is especially appropriate as a summary of chapters 9 through 11. It magnifies God's mercy in the election of sinners. Chapter 9 says, God gives mercy and compassion to those He will. And that mercy is free, it is generous, it is tender, it is according to our need, it is specific, it is thorough, it is deep. And it is for the undeserving. And there is nothing in us to prompt it, and that's why we call it mercy. This statement from Martin Luther I have preached the message of grace for almost 20 years and still I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal with God that I may contribute something so that he will give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. There is that tug of dirt in our hearts too to deal with God as if we should be worthy of mercy. And one of the evidences of that is that the way we deal with others is that they must be worthy of our mercy. And so it is, as we look now at chapter um, chapter 12, verses, verse 1 today, just that verse, I want you to be praying for, considering the magnitude of mercy and the effect of mercy. Uh, Please pray with me. This day we are humbled before you. Our Father, grant to us your help in hearing the word. Grant to us your help in understanding the word. Grant to us your help in applying your word. And grant to us your help in living out this word. And we make this our prayer for the glory and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is Romans chapter 12, verses just 1 and 2 this morning. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to read verse 1 again, but out of the Phillips translation, listen to this. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an intelligent, act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. There is no Christian living apart from the mercies of God. There is no Christian living without the mercies of God. I want you to be, I want you to consider why it is that you act the way that you do. What motivates you in this life? Why do you do what you do? Sometimes, we do things in order to look good to other people. We are more concerned about looking holy than being holy. Sometimes we don't think at all about why we're doing things. We simply react emotionally and strongly to whatever's going on around us. If things are going well, we're happy. If we are well treated by others, we are nice. But if we're not, we can be cold and dismissive and actually think we're doing okay. Sometimes we do things based by guilt, as if to keep God loving us and to receive favors from Him. Sometimes we obey simply out of fear of God. Now that makes more sense, doesn't it? But you notice how our passage opens. Paul could have said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to do what God says just because he said it. He could have said that. God is all-powerful. God is mighty. God is sovereign. God is the king. You should obey him. Kids, you've, you've heard your parents act that, talk that way from time to time, haven't you? You are told to do something. And sometimes, kid, you say, why should I? Has that ever happened? Sometimes your parents will say, because I said so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you should. (laughs) There are other ways to persuade people of things, though. And the first thing out of Paul's mouth is brothers... And sisters, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the compassions of God. God's mercies are new and fresh and beautiful and exactly appropriate to our need every day. He comes to us with tenderness in our weakness, in our sins. Definition I kind of came up with just a couple of days ago here to underscore this is, is, is mercy is being tender to another in their weakness. Mercy 
is being tender to another in their weakness. Not when they're doing everything you want, but in their weakness. So that they know it and they can feel it. It is Christ's mercy to the weak and to the needy and undeserving sinners. One writer put it this way, there is no greater incentive to holy living than a contemplation of the mercies of God. No greater incentive the mercies of God. There is no Christian living without the mercies of God. And another way to put this, as a Christian, every part of your life is to be shaped by mercy. Every part, aspect of your life is to be shaped by God's mercy. And really, we see, as we begin to look now at this section, of, especially in chapters, uh, in chapters 12 to 14, that, that mercy changes absolutely everything about the way you relate to your world. Mercy changes, changes everything. We, we'll see. We'll spend time with it. But in chapter 11, uh, 12, verses 3 through following, 3 through, uh, 3 through 8, you can't live in the church without mercy. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so though, though we are many, we are one body in Christ, individual, individually members one of another. We are different, but you are not better, just different. And we bring the gospel with us then when we come to church. We also bring the gospel with us in our relationships with other people in verses 9 through 21, which we read earlier in this service. You can't be in relationship to others without mercy. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let love be genuine. Verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You can't do that without mercy. We are comfortable with giving honor to people we respect. To people who are somehow above us. We're okay with honoring them. Paul says that's not good enough. You need to honor everyone. And you need mercy in order to be able to do that. You take the gospel with you into your homes as you're dealing with weak and frail people. Verses 16 to 18, look at what it says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of, in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't be in relationship with others without mercy. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You also take the gospel into the public sphere. You take it into the world of politics, beginning in verse 13. Let every person be subject to the governing of authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You can't live in our political climate without mercy. 
such a such a cluttering, a clattering of noise and antipathy one side for the other. And, and, and by that, there is hatred in those shrill attacks. And so we have mercy even for people we disagree with. Look with me at, at chapter 13, verses 8 and following. We live by the mercies of God in our pagan world. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We sometimes feel superior to those who are outside the bounds of our church. Their lives may be more messed up than ours. Maybe not, but they may be. And and we can look down on people and, and, and far from loving them, we can scorn them. You can't live by the mercies of God in this pagan world without God's mercy coming through you. And and finally, we see in in chapter 14, we live by the mercies of God with a weaker brother, someone who is not as mature as yours. It's easy to look down on that brother as immature and, and sort of just, he'll get over it. He'll be like me one day. We live by the mercies of God. You take the gospel with you into every relationship. You can't live as a Christian anywhere without the mercy of God. You can't survive in our pagan world without the mercy of God. You cannot survive in the church without the mercy of God. You cannot survive in your family without the mercy of God. This is what the mercy of God enables you to do. To find pardon for your own sin and perspective on everyone else's. So you are not one then that blames, that critiques, that judges, but you have mercy, especially on those different from you. There is no Christian living without the mercies of God. And by mercy, then, we present, by mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice. What does Paul do here? Strangely, you might think, uh, he begins with our bodies. Christian living involves your body. Well, now, while that sounds somewhat simple, uh, maybe even simplistic, it was a bomb in Paul's day. Uh, There was uh, the nations, the the, uh, society was influenced by by, uh, Platonism, and uh, part of the uh, belief system there is that the body... Um, is a tomb, and what is enduring, what is eternal, what is good, is the spirit that is inside that tomb. And what they would do with that then, is it didn't matter what a person did with his or her body. The body doesn't matter. What matters is is your, your internal world. So you can do what you want. And it led to all kinds of indulgences. Now, Christian living certainly includes right thinking. Let, let, me, go back, let me go back to uh, Philip's translation and, and read verse 2. It certainly includes right thinking and, and right attitudes, as, as verse 2 will go on to say. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good. 
meets all his demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. Christian living includes right thinking, but Paul doesn't start there. Present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Even today, when we talk about someone coming to faith in Christ, sometimes we use language like this, generally outside of the Reformed circles, but you hear this phrase that someone is giving their heart to Jesus. People, that's not near enough. He wants your body too. Now, it's not the first time that Paul has used this word that appears here as, as present uh, your bodies as living sacrifices. He had used the same word in chapter 6, and I invite you to turn back with me to chapter 6, uh, uh, verses 13 and 19. But in that section, uh, it is the same word is translated differently. It's translated offer. Um, he's using that word offer uh, in, in, uh, in those two passages. And he, and he says, do not present, do not offer your members to sin as instruments for Righteousness. Now, when you hear the word offer, um, it don't, it, it's not like it's an emotional uh, appeal, uh, like he's pleading with you as if he's saying, after all of what God has done for you, it is the least that you can do to do him this favor and get back a little bit to him. That's not exactly, that's not at all what he's saying. But look with me at verse 13. Uh, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, offer, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In God's mercy, he gives you the power to do so. Present yourselves as God as those who have in fact been brought from death to life. So you can. What you once did, you do no more. How you once lived, you live no more. Once you presented the members of your body as slaves to impurity. Let's pick up at verse 19 in the middle there. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now present your members as slaves as that living sacrifice. And holiness is in the details. It's what you do with your body. You can indulge or you can present. You can indulge or you can offer to God. Do you indulge your eyes? What do you look at? Do you indulge your tongue? What do you say? Do you build up? Do you tear down? Do you exalt Christ? What about your ears? What do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Do you indulge your emotions? 
giving in to them as if they had the last word and the final say. You give in to anger. Or do you give mercy? What do you touch with your fingers? What do you handle? Where do your feet take you? What are you doing with your sexuality? My dear brothers and sisters, you do not go through life making sacrifices. You are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. When it says holy, that means set apart from ordinary use. It means set apart for God. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, that meant taking lambs and, and other animals that were not defiled. They were without spot. They were without, without blemish. And if you kind of start to apply that to yourself, you think, whoa, this is a little bit weird. What would God, how, why would God be interested in my body? Think about that. Right where you're sitting. Some of us are overweight. Some of us are underweight. Some of us have blotchy skin. Uh, we are diseased in some ways. We can be kind of creaky. Others of us can be awkward. We may have pimples. And then there's that really stiff neck that we hate to bend. You see, to expect your body to be the unblemished sacrifice misses the point. It's not your sacrifice for sin that is in view here because that's been done by Christ. And that's why his body makes yours acceptable. By the mercies of God, your body is holy in Christ. We serve God from God's acceptance and not for it. The last phrase in our text, uh, which is your spiritual worship, um, I do prefer the rendering in the authorized version, the King James Version, which is your reasonable service. If Paul had intended uh, to use the, to uh, call this spiritual service, there are uh, pneumaticus, other words that are related to the Holy Spirit he could well have used, but he used the word that is from, based on the word logos, which has to do with the idea of, of rational and, and reason. Uh, this is your reasonable service. In other words, listen to this. Your service and your life of obedience is appropriate in light of the grace of God. Your obedience is appropriate in view of the fact that God has been merciful to you. Your, it, is, it is reasonable. It is reasonable to be a living sacrifice. Because the living Son of God has sacrificed for you. This is all very reasonable. It is not easy, but it is reasonable. Parents, there are times when you want to climb down from that altar. You don't want to be dead. Perhaps you have ungrateful children. Perhaps they make assumptions and they don't really deserve, they don't act like, 
like, as you want them to. They don't deserve all the good things that you give to them. You don't want to give mercy. You want to climb down off of that altar and give them a piece of your mind. But you treat them as God has treated you, as he has shown you mercy, as he has been gentle, as he has been patient with you. Some of you are married, and you've got a spouse um, who sometimes does not meet your needs, who sometimes does not give you what you want. And one of the things that can happen in a situation like that, you've got one spouse over here, arms folded, looking, and you've got the other spouse over here, arms folded, looking. What are they waiting for? waiting for the other one to die. They're waiting for the other one to be a living sacrifice. I don't want to get on that altar. I don't want to do that. But I will respond nicely if he does it first. Where's the mercy in that? No wonder you're stuck. I've quoted this before, and I happen to love it. It's the song Yahweh, um, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, U2. And, um, and, and uh, in that song, there is this phrase. And the reason I love this is because whoever wrote this song, Bono, whoever wrote this song, Bono, whoever it was, in this moment got a glimpse of the gospel in ways that many of us miss. This is breathtaking. And, and what he's saying is this. He's saying, offer all of your life in service to Yahweh, okay? But then he says this, take this mouth so quick to criticize. Take this mouth and give it a kiss. Not a cuffing, not a command, but give it mercy. Give me and my mouth mercy and tenderness so that I'm able to use it for the glory of God. What about you seniors? I've been in places, and I've heard this phrase, uh, uh, seniors who have been, they've been around for a long time, they have have, uh, loved their, um, they have served well and and all of that. Um, and, and, uh, And when they get to be in their, I'll say 70s. I think I would have used to say in their 60s, but I'll, I'll push it back a little. In their 70s, they might say something like this. I have paid my dues. I have done my share. And I'm done. Let the younger ones do it. And I just want to say, I am thankful that that attitude does not prevail here. I was so encouraged to hear, Andrew told me that, not, not at the most recent senior lunch, but the one before that, there was a ministry opportunity that was offered to them. And they said, yes, let's do it. I want to do that. And so they're going to be serving the body by providing ways that we can reach out to our neighbors. This is a great, this is a great thing. That's being, you see, you are a living sacrifice until you aren't. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? You are a living sacrifice until you're without breath. What about friends? We can be very content uh, with our group of supportive friends. We enjoy hanging around with people 
not only who are like us, but who like us. And our mercy is seldom tested. We don't need mercy to live with them. It's like falling out of bed. So here, we see what is reasonable. What is reasonable? It is reasonable to delight in people who are not like you. That is absolutely, stunningly reasonable in view of God's mercy to sinners, God's tenderness to the weak and the needy. You don't make sacrifices, people. Why do I make that point? Because when you make a sacrifice, you lay it down on the altar one day, you can decide later, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to walk away. And I'm not going to make that sacrifice anymore. I'm tired. You don't make a sacrifice. You are a living sacrifice. Well, the greatest question for each of you today is, do you personally know the mercy of God? Do you know God who is merciful and tender to those who are weak and needy and frail and subject not only to sin, but to stupid decisions? Do you know God who is merciful like that? And and maybe you've never thought of God as being merciful before. And you've come to him on the basis of Jesus' mercy for sinners. But today's a great day for that. He has mercy and compassion for our every need, for every and all sin. In fact, God's mercy is for the weak, not for the strong. God's mercy is for the sinners, not those who are self-satisfied. And so let us glorify Him. Let us glorify Him with our humble lives of giving mercy to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're amazed and thankful that um, you, the way you have reasoned with us today, it's it builds our faith. It encourages us. It gives us strength when we're feeling overwhelmed. It gives us strength when we're feeling incompetent, like we just can't do this Christian life. And you give mercy to us, even in the power of the resurrected Christ. And so we give you, give you our devotion today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.